the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Oh, my God. This is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the two-man power trip podcast. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Cody Rhodes, the prince of pro wrestling, and you are listening to two-man power trip. This is Jimmy Vine, the boogie Wooker man. Tell my people my brothers and sisters, don't you dare miss John and Chad. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on the show again i appreciate you asking me back so you said you were going to pinch yourself i didn't know it was that kind of show now i mean if you guys are in the privacy of your own home if you want to do these things good how you doing chad hey johnny cool man what's going on we're ready to go or what uh, hey man what's up guys this is homicide oh that's my homie homicide with a big homie club yeah that would be it hey this is david penzer and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling well, thank you, thank you. Hear me, fear me. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, me, Gene, I can't be beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that. And every kid, I, they knew they could kick the out of me. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling. And now... They bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of trip of wrestling and you are listening to the flagship tmpt empire interview podcast here on the tmpt empire and if you didn't know by now my name is chad and every single week i'm joined by my tag team partner the one and only jp john paz and john we're going to talk about another tag team this week but it might not be some of those uh, elite tag teams in wrestling history it's not going to be the steiner brothers it's not going to be the road warriors 
we're going to be heading back into the time portal to talk about the WCW creation, the Ding Dongs, which is going to be pretty uh, damn hilarious today. And uh, got to say, I'm really looking forward to not only hearing the full episode, but uh, learning the ins and outs of the Ding Dongs by former Ding Dong tag team member. Greg Evans, uh, who had the opportunity to speak with you in a conversation I can't say we've seen uh, very much throughout uh, professional wrestling. Uh, but when you think about the ding-dongs, and I just told you before we started rolling, you type it in and you start to get some maybe more of the, uh, the lighter uh, articles about uh, professional wrestling. Maybe some of the uh, things that didn't work, gimmicks that uh, maybe not successful, but nonetheless here we are 30 plus years later talking about the ding dongs what do we have to look forward today uh in this interview here with greg evans you know it's funny with uh, greg evans and you think about the ding dongs one of the worst gimmicks of all time and that's kind of how he's remembered by a lot of fans out there and a lot of the fans remember the ding dongs from wcw the jim Hurd era of wcw and it's not thought about very fondly but Greg is such a smooth talker, such a good talker, so kind of just easy to talk to and, and has a lot to say. It's a great length in the interview, and it's not just about the ding-dongs. We'll go all through his career. He was, of course, one half of the Rock and Roll Rebels as well. We'll talk about Deep South. We'll get into a little bit of WWF where he was an enhancement talent for a brief period of time. You know, we'll get into a lot of different stuff, and, of course, we'll get into a little bit of WCW, actually a lot of bit of wcw what he thought about that interesting gimmick the orange suits (laughs) covered in bells you know what was the point of it who were they going after why were they going after them were they trying to somehow copy the wwf and almost try to get their own bushwhackers light if you will tag team and kind of go in that direction with them and just kind of not being what you expected when you think of like a tag team gimmick and and it getting over and, and it being interesting at all so that is just one of those things where it's like wow who the hell thought of this why do they think of this Were they high when they thought of this are they drunk when they thought of this and it's kind of the first thing that he says when we start talking about the ding dongs he's like was jim heard high like when he thought about this and <laughs> and i wonder how he kind of brought it up to flyer who was booking uh, you know in charge of the booking committee at this point and really booking most of the talent most of the shows like hey man i want to you know, I want you to be Spartacus, and I want this to be a ding-dong gimmick. So it's really interesting kind of to go through the, the maturation process of the ding-dongs, if you could even say that, and talk about the look and the characters and really hear about if he liked it or not and why it's still remembered today. Yeah, I mean, right as we were talking about uh, all this stuff, you know, uh, beforehand, I, I meant to tell you earlier, it's like you think of the ding-dongs, you think of some of those other Jim Hurd like I don't know, those uh, things that you, you throw up in the air, maybe they stick to the ceiling, maybe they don't. You think of the Hunchbacks, you think of uh, Ric Flair Spartacus, like you said, you think of some of those more abstract ideas from a guy who might not have really been a wrestling guy. Uh, but something about it, you know, it sticks. It's ridiculous, but it sticks. You know, how does somebody like a guy in Greg Evans who's been a, a, a worker for a long time, uh, somebody who's been around the block, how does he kind of suit up with those bells and whistles and all that stuff and uh, and try to take something seriously that it's pretty hard to take it seriously. Yeah, absolutely. And him and Richard Sartan, the other member of the Ding Dongs, who were originally the Rock and Roll Rebels, and they really started kind of out in Deep South with Jody Hamilton, 
you know, they, they kind of bring them over and they're like, man, you guys are good hands. Let's see what you guys can do as a tag team. And, you know, maybe they're not as charismatic as a Rock and Roll Express or as over as, as the Steiner Brothers or, you know, just trying to think of, of where you can kind of put that team, maybe that second tier, that third tier tag team, maybe those get over guys that make the other guys look good, make, you know, shine the other guys and see what you can kind of do with those guys. And all of a sudden, okay, you guys are good hands, you're good workers. Well, guess what? We're going to make you the ding-dongs, and <laughs> we're going to try to be more like WWF and have these creative characters. And you always hear about this Jim Hurd creative initiative. So it's going to push these cartoony characters and really go after WWF's audience at that point. And it was really a big abstract failure. It was just terrible, and they tried to get over with the young fans. They tried to get over with the kids, but it really kind of just got booed right away. And Greg talks about in the interview, it's kind of hard to get into the character and really you know, feel the character when he's getting booed out of the building by, by people he's supposed to get cheered from. So it's like, okay, let's go for the younger audience. Let's go for the kids. And then they're getting booed out of the building with their horrible you know, looking suits and this and that. And, and eventually, obviously, they become enhancement guys or jobbers, and they're just like kind of get-over guys. And they're not really going to become anything. They're not going to become that Bushwhacker-liked tag team. Not that Bushwhackers were tag team champions, but they were super over. And they didn't really at first, really, they didn't really job too much. I mean, they <laughs> beat the Rougeos a bunch, which you know about all too well. But, you know, they really they really didn't face that team or, or face hardly any teams where they were getting some wins. So it's kind of a tough go at it. And obviously, you know, they faced that major losing streak, losing the teams, good teams, mind you, but, uh, you know, kind of enhancement matches against the Skyscrapers, against the New Zealand Militia, against the Samoan SWAT team. And even against Terry Funk and Mudis, I mean, a lot of uh, jobs going on for sure. And, you know, I can't really say a whole hell of a lot of positive things about that game. How about debuting on Clash of the Champions? That's a pretty big deal if you do look back. And maybe, I guess, the banner moment for the run of the Ding Dongs is that they debuted on a big stage. Yep, Clash of the Champions 7. Definitely kind of the high water mark. It's all kind of downhill from there. (laughs) It's just that when you think of the characters, like, all right, what the hell are the bell's about? Oh, yeah, yeah. That Like, thinking about it, like, come on, it's going to get pretty damn annoying. And you don't want to saddle two good workers in what could be a good tag team. You don't want to saddle them with a horrible gimmick and never have them kind of, uh, you know, get over that. And point of no return, and not too far after that, they really you know, face their, you know, exit from WCW and get their release. So, you know, it's just crazy to um, kind of put two workers, good workers, in that spot and expect them to get over with such a bad gimmick. It's just not going to happen. But, you know, I wanted to mention this just real quick in an interesting part of the conversation is that, you know, we were talking about, well, RoboCop and the Ding Dongs are at StarCast. So <laughs> obviously, you know, you could see RoboCop. It's not really RoboCop. And, and I, you know, you don't expect that and that's fine. But the Ding Dongs, you're thinking, okay, they probably got the original Ding Dongs. Well, that's cool. You know, they, they got Greg Evans. They got Richard Sartan. That's really cool. They got Ding Dongs. So I just, was asking Greg about it, not even thinking. He goes, no, it wasn't that StarCast. That wasn't us. So I'm thinking to myself, wow, that is strange. And he was thinking like, wow, they couldn't even, you're going to book the Ding Dongs. Never happens. They never do signings. You know, they, the Ding Dongs is kind of a hated gimmick. They never get asked to do things. And all of a sudden, you're booking them at StarCast, and it's fake Ding Dongs. Like, wow, that was <laughs> kind of surprising for me, to be honest, and kind of crazy, because that would have been pretty cool, rare guests to get the Ding Dongs. But they got a faux or a fake or a ripoff ding-dongs cosplay if you will pretty crazy 
The only time you see a fake ding dong is usually on a Friday night after a couple of drinks. So uh, it's not that's one thing for Starcast that they got the guts to do that. Good kudos to them. You got to uh, you got to give it to uh, to Conrad and company for uh, parading out the fake ding dongs and uh, trouncing on the legacy of what uh, they they did back in the early 90s. So uh, without a doubt, looking forward to it. But before we wrap it up, just give us one more key to the game here. Give us something to look for, a a finer point of the interview here with Greg Evans. It's just interesting to me anyway. I don't know how interesting it would be to the fans, but kind of what they do after wrestling, what their life is after wrestling, what happens. And, you know, police officer, firefighter. So when he retires and basically 1990 and you think he's out of the game and done with wrestling maybe you know who knows what happens pretty sturdy and pretty steady and pretty amazing career to be you know retired firefighter and things like that so i just thought that was a pretty cool to find out that you know doing really well and did really well outside of wrestling and that that gimmick you know not that it would affect him but it doesn't doesn't help him in any way as far as like the convention game or you know kind of like re re uh redoing some business but i just thought that was cool like all right he's doing pretty well for himself outside of the ring and and really really kind of um did you know good things and and great things outside of wrestling after his career was over which was really really cool and obviously wrestling wise it just a lot of cool stories and things you may not um heard about before getting into some deep south wrestling with jody hamilton and Nick Patrick. So I think just some really, really cool stuff there. Uh, maybe a little pork chop cash, maybe a little story about Randy Colley, rest in peace as well. So, you know, you, I think you're really, really going to be surprised by this one and you're really going to enjoy it. He is a great, great talker. Awesome. Looking forward to it. Going to be a lot of fun. Love these walk uh, and strolls back down memory lane. Uh, looking forward to hearing about the ding-dongs and everything in between here on the TMPT Empire. And if you want to learn more about the Empire, head on over to our website, tmptempire.com. Get all the information on the podcast. Get the links. Get your uh, your one-way ticket to all things pro wrestling, uh, shoot interview style podcasts, and uh, a lot of cool topics being covered on different shows, obviously, with Francine on Eyes Up Here, with JJ on the JJ Dillon podcast, and of course, the franchise Shane Douglas, which if you head over to Russo'sBrand.com for the rest of December, you get it for free, which take advantage of that and see all of our pretty faces on video, as well as download us on the go and listen to us every single episode on the Russo brand exclusively. So head on over there right now for the rest of December, get it for free. You will not be disappointed, and that's uh, enough out of us. Let's wrap it up here nice. Let's hit you with some TMPT Empire business and get it on over to Greg Evans, a former ding dong. And now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at Rasslin' Pal. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a review. We would love to hear your feedback. Check out the feed for awesome past episodes, including Bruno San Martino, Sean Michael, Dusty Rhodes, Jerry Lawler, Terry Funk, Goldberg, Ray Mysterio Jr., Arn Anderson, Glenn Kane Jacobs, and so many more. While you're on the web, visit ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, that is ProWrestlingTees.com. Visit our store, visit J.J. Dillon's store, Francine's store, and of course, the franchise Shane Douglas' store. For all you Android users out there, find us on Google Play and Player FM. 
for all you iOS users, check us out on TuneIn Radio, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Podomatic, and now Stitcher. And of course, check out the Empire. Yes, that is the TMPT Empire now. TMPTEmpire.com for all the latest and greatest on the two-man power trip of wrestling. And now, without any further ado, a former two-time Deep South Wrestling World Tag Team Champion, you may know him as one half of the Rock and Roll Rebel, or one half of the infamous Dig Dong, he is Greg Evans. Please enjoy. God, good. That's a good thing for me. All right. Okay. Yeah. So where are you from, Jersey? Yes. Asbury Park, New Jersey. Asbury Park. Okay. So when did you become a wrestling fan? I would probably say 1986-ish around there, probably 85, 86, somewhere around there. Basically, was young kid, about four years old or so. Oh, really? Yeah. Fell in love with the holster. That- that was actually a pretty tough time for a lot of the businesses back then because a lot of people were going out of business, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I actually, um, as a very young man, um, was right here in Georgia, and um, I guess eight or nine was watching television and kind of, you know, I didn't really know what wrestling was, okay? other than it was a sport. And my favorite kind of guy to watch was this guy named Argentina Apollo. You ever heard of him? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, he was a uh, well-built monkey-like guy, you know, and he could bounce around. And um, they actually had this, uh, we call it an angle now, but, you know, back then I just thought it was pretty neat. They were going to show some of his artwork. And he had painted like landscapes, you know, and they had these easels around the ring and, and they were showing them on TV and stuff like that. And it was, I mean, they could have bought the stupid stuff at, you know, a motel sale or something, but right, it, yeah. looked, it looked kind of European. It looked like somebody knew what they were doing. And, uh, of course, here comes the angle, Ox Baker, who comes in, <laughs> who looked like a giant Cossack to me, comes in and, uh, uh, wades through him and says, this is my slotted TV time. Get out of my way. It beats up Argentina Apollo. And I was in shock. <laughs> I was like, what did he just do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Here's this guy's life work, and he's stomping on it and whooping his ass. And I thought about it, and I thought, you know, that's 
you know, destruction of private property, somebody ought to go to jail. And then I thought, now this has got to be an angle. This has got to be bad guy, good guy, Superman, bad guys, you know, and all the kind of things like that. And from then on, I was hooked. <laughs> I love it. Were you afraid of Ox Baker? Because a lot of people were. No, not really. I was never – see, that's the thing about me that most people don't have. I, I just don't have the fear gene. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I've yeah. handled poisonous snakes. I've done, you know, things that people shake their head. That's why I became a fireman and stuff. But uh, fear just doesn't affect me like a lot of people. I don't know why. Uh, it just, I mean, when I was wrestling big, strong guys, I just took it as a, you know, it's a performance. It's what it was, you know. And uh, I just, I never was scared of anybody, you know. Not even Ox Baker, the heart punch, you know. He's... Oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, he was. I mean, that he was working actually with uh, the Gunkel crew, you know, Ray Gunkel and uh, who had died after a match with Ox. He had beaten Ox and then died, and there he is on television saying, "I'm Killer. You can call me Killer Baker now." <laughs> you know, it's like what? <laughs> and then such uh, a heel, yeah. Oh my yeah, God. he's a great heel. I mean, but what I've talked about guys about him, you know, he's a big. Big uh, teddy bear. He's a big candy, you know. And Ed Capral was the announcer back then. They and we actually in Georgia had two shows. We had All South Wrestling, and then we had Georgia Championship with Gordon Soley. You know, and a lot of the guys kind of moved back and forth. But you know, we had a great influx of talent back then. I mean, we every every big name came through Georgia because it was drawing. You know. And it was it was interesting, and and to me, uh, my foray into that and enjoying into that um, was, you know, like a lot of people, you know, you had wrestling too and stuff, but wanted to see who was the best, you know, and at the time, Jack Briscoe was the man, you know. Mm, yeah. Yeah, he was a really technically. And, I mean, he could sell, and he could work, and he had – and it was a different game back then. It wasn't the 12 hot spots and superplexes and stuff like that. It was on the mat, a lot more on the mat wrestling. But the the really first guy that I kind of fell totally in love with because not so much that he was a big, tough, impressive guy, and he was, I mean, but uh, – um, the guy that really got me because he would take amazing bumps and uh, stuff like that was um, Terry Funk. Hmm. And that was back when he became world champ. Because if you watch, if you really want to treat, go back and, and go to YouTube and watch some Terry Funk uh, Frisco matches or Terry Funk and uh, Harley Race matches. And watch the bumps he takes. I mean, it's just amazing. I mean, everything he did, you thought, oh, God, it killed him, you know? And he did that his whole career, even all banged up when I met him in WCW. He was he was something. Easily one of the best. So good. And then the promos made him even more believable. He, he just had it all. Oh, I seen him do a promo when I was at WCW. There's no way they aired it. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> he he was 
he was uh, oh working with uh, he was doing a promo against Flair, and he was begging to get a match with Flair, and uh, he says I'll dance like a flamingo and did the flamingo dance. He says hmm. I'll get down. Oh, and now Jim Ross is doing the interview, and it's all he can stand because he's hilarious. You know, Harry could really crack you up. And Jim Ross is standing there like, oh, my God. And then he gets, I'll get on my hands and knees. And he goes down on his hands and knees like he's going for Jim Ross, and he's holding the microphone literally like a penis. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do anything, anything. And his last thing was to kiss the microphone. <laughs> oh, gee. <laughs> There's no way they could air it. I mean, it was the most incredible interview. And I was like, this guy's great, you know. But he was kind of the guy that I really, really liked watching, you know, because he, he was always good for a little this and a little that and sell. God, he could sell. And he did that movie, uh, Paradise Alley, and what a heel he was in that! Great heel. Yeah, pretty pretty good uh, actor. Had a bunch of those good little roles in the eighties, over the top Paradise Alley. He had a bunch of good ones. Yeah, yeah, he was great. And uh, you know when he was when he came to Atlanta, and it was funny because <clears throat> I had started working with you know, WCW a little bit through Jody. And uh, the thing about the um, ring for television, it was different a lot of times than the ring we worked with Steady because it was it was wood. It wasn't as give, forgiving and giving. And God bless him. You know, the guy that set it up, um, uh, McGowan, he would just you know, have guys set it up. And he didn't do anything, really. He just made sure it got set up. And sometimes you go in there and the top rings tighter than a banjo, I mean, top ropes tighter than a banjo street <laughs> string, and the second rope's draping off of it, you know? So I got to have it, uh, especially when I do TV, is go into the ring early and set the ropes. Because, I mean, it's a performance and Anything could happen, and I've seen a lot of bad stuff happen because of the ropes or whatever. The top one is about knocking you over, and the middle one, you almost go through the ring, you know, go through the ropes. Mm-hmm. Well, I was in there, started setting up the ropes, and guess who was in there with me? Terry Damfunk. <laughs> oh, my God. First day, I he came to work with us, and I, we're, we're sitting there messing with the ropes together. And, you know, I, I introduced myself, and... He kind of a little bit mentored me, but uh, um, he was really the reason I got out of the business, too. He says, Greg, he says, I'm going to tell you the truth. You're a young man. He says, you need to get out of the business. And he, wow. And it was like heavy because I knew I could work, you know, and I was like, what? He says, these guys and this promotion – He's, in the way the business is going, he says, you're just going to be depressed, and they're, you're too nice a guy and too good a person to stay in this business. And I was like, wow, that was pretty heavy. Yeah. And uh, and that's after, you know, seeing him for six months, you know. And uh, I quit. I mean, that's how 
I did it. I mean, that's about two weeks after I put my notice in. You remember what year that was? 89. Wow. Hmm. February 90. Well, you know, that's 89 was a tough, tough time for wrestling other than, you know, Hogan. And they messed, the guys messed with each other, the promoters. I mean, like we would go in the town or schedule a town and, and, um, they would have, you know, wrestling on Friday night if we were there Saturday or, you know, the WWF would been there the day before or the day after. And they messed with the other terribly. And it was just bad for business. And, you know, Memphis was down. I mean, I mean, Memphis was gone, basically. Um, Universal Wrestling Federation was bought by WCW right before this. And Florida was done. I mean, there was nowhere to work. I mean... It was it was a pretty tough time. I mean, you were either there was only two businesses to make any money. Period. It's not like the territory days anymore. I mean, it it got whittled down to only two places to make a living. Crazy. And it, as far as like WCW, how did you get in? You mentioned Jody Hamilton. How did you get into WCW? Was it you were working deep south and they wanted somebody, so Jody recommended you guys? Well, it, this is this is how this all went down. You know, um, Joe Petticino had put together a kind of territory wrestling Saturday night super show, and it was about four hours of, of the different territories, and he'd him pack matches and um, do his little commentary on on what's going on around the territory, and then show what was left of the territories. I mean, AWA was still going. Um, uh, Pacific Northwest was still doing a little bit. World Class was just about out of business because the Von Erich silliness finally turned the people off. Um, but Deep South was in there and a few other businesses for, for a while, you know. And, of course, this is right before... Um, Turner bought WCW, or Turner bought it from the Crockett's. And, of course, that all went down because business went down again. I mean, it was – they were in trouble. They bought airplanes and thinking things was going to go good. Stark 888 went good, but then it just – business dropped off. They were tired of Dusty, and Dusty was the booker and the head guy, and he wasn't going to let any – and it, Dusty was a great worker. He was great for the business, but there's a limit. I mean, there's there's a time when it's time to move on. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yep. And I mean, even Georgia Championship Wrestling, you had an influx of talent constantly. You had guys coming in and out. You know, and when you had territories, it made it more interesting to me. You know, because of the diversity. You could see guys from the West Coast or guys from the, you know, on this on this program, and I used to watch it. And Jody was opening up a uh, wrestling school, and at the time I was building a house with my father, and I told him if I built this house, you know, for minimal money, you know, that I can make to live because I'd already moved out. He says, "Will you put me through wrestling school?" He said, "Sure." So I went down there, and uh, Joey Jody had already started training guys, I think about five to seven months before, and they trained 
I think three days a week, like Monday, Wednesday, and Friday or whatever. And I uh, went down there and took a look at what they were doing. And I said, I'll see you next Monday and I'll start. And he says, okay, well, we'll set up a payment plan. I said, okay, I'll see you then. And I walked in and paid my money I'm right up front. And he says, you're paying up front? I said, yeah, I know what I want, you know. He wasn't going to run me off. And we had a lot of guys come in, you know, first body slam, they crap their pants and leave. You know, this happened all the time. <laughs> but uh, uh, I knew what I wanted, and I knew I could do it. You know, sometimes you just know. And um, I worked with him uh, with Deep South while it was still working and kind of worked my way up the ladder, uh, a tag team called the Rock and Roll Rebels with uh, oh, yeah. John Michaels. And uh, uh, let's see, uh, my best friend, and he's still one of my best friends in the whole world, is Jimmy Bryant, who really never – he was a pretty good worker. He could do uh, – and he was a bigger guy. He was my height, but he, you know, add 40 pounds, you know. And he could move, and he could work. And my first 15 matches was me and him beating the hell out of each other <laughs> for 15 hmm. minutes. But uh, uh, there was a lot of talent that kind of floated through Deep South. You know, we had local guys like, you know, Grizzly Boone, Steve Lawler, uh, the Oates Brothers, Jerry Stubbs, Armstrong, Porkchop Cash, Luke Graham. Um, let's see, Dwayne Bruce, who I really helped train, who became Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker. Yeah. yeah right. Yep. And um we we uh kind of kind of trained him cuz um Nick Patrick was our basic trainer and you know Jody was there, you know, maybe 50% of the time, but once once one guy kind of learned it, he was still perfecting his craft. He would bring the other guys in, you know, and you worked the different guys and you know, the footwork and everything like that. We had a guy named Troy Aldridge was with us um, for a while, and then we brought in guys from um, North Georgia, like Richard Sarton, Chance Myers, <clears throat> Tim Mahler Mays, uh, Jimmy Powell, Booger Power. Mahler Ford was one of our students. Um, uh, Dino Manelli, you know, just just to have you know, pretty good flux of guys. And then we had guys you probably heard of, Adrian Street, Randy Colley. You know who Randy Colley is? Oh, yes, Moondog, yeah. Yeah. Um, then we had a guy named Botswana Beast who was Ben Peacock, who was not a bad worker. I mean, he was a big guy, and, you know, he didn't have a tank, but um, you could get 15 solid minutes out of Ben. And, of course, Tommy Rich was working with us for a while. And, uh, and it was a good learning ground, and I did that for two years. Um, but then, you know, AJBA was folding. We couldn't draw, and um, we was basically, you either work with WCW or you work the small-time, you know, kind of outlaw shows out of North Georgia or something, and I had some contacts up there and worked with them some. Uh, and um, Jody calls me up. He says, you know, I know Deep South folded. He says, I know you're a good worker. He says, we need a, uh, got to do a 
spot that needs to be done right. It's a job. And he says, but I told him you was the, the best guy I could think of. I said, well, what is it? He says, you got to put Rick Flair up. Oh. <laughs> so I said, okay, <laughs> I'll give it a shot. And maybe this will, he said, maybe this will open it up to you to do some work with us. And, you know, maybe you'll be on the bottom rung. I ain't going to lie to you. He said, maybe you can work your way into a gimmick or they can see that you can work, you know. And uh, I I did it. And uh, from then on, well, they kind of held off for a month. But then on, anytime they had a TV tape and they wanted me to take bumps. So uh, I didn't really like it. Uh, it was only showing like one dimension of what you could do pretty much. But they all let me work a little bit. You know, if I had a tag team partner, they usually crushed him, you know, and let me work a little bit. But uh, uh, then probably what you're calling about, uh, and Jody didn't even tell me about it, but uh, till he told me, he says, we got a gimmick for you and Richard Sarton. I said, okay, what we got going on? He said, I'm not going to tell you until the day before. I said, but you got to show up. And uh, uh, get some measurements. We're we're ordering your your uh, your stuff. I said okay. Hmm. So I go up to the thirteenth floor, and there's this guy, and he gets me all my measurements. And uh, here I am, you know, underneath. My hopes are up, <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh my god, you know, this may lead to something. I can get out of the cellar. You know, I'm I'm doing a few spot shows, but mostly I'm just getting crushed on TV. And I know I can work. Um, and uh, here's the stuff. I'm going to be a fucking ding-dong. <laughs> <laughs> 24 hours before I had to do it. And I'm like, what the fuck? All right, put yourself in my shoes for about 10 seconds. I mean, this is something you always wanted to do, and they want to put the orange suit on you, put bells on, and this is your first opportunity to make any money. What the fuck are you going to do? You got to do it, yeah. Yeah. So I love Richard, but Richard didn't know what the hell to do with it. So I said, well, what the fuck is a ding-dong? And I stayed up by half the night. <laughs> trying to figure out what the hell was in Jim Hurd's head. And when Jody told me about it, you know what I told him? You're fucking kidding me. This has got to be a rib. <laughs> you would think, said, yeah. It's not a rib. It's straight from the top. And I said, what? <laughs> I just went silent. I said, well, I guess I got to figure out how to be a fucking ding-dong. <laughs> and I figured, hell, if it, if it's a... Silly ass gimmick, then we'll do it for the kids. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, let's, absolutely. If we're going to be fucking clowns, let's go ahead and be fucking clowns. So I figured out some cool little spots that were great for clown spots. And we worked mostly with uh, uh, the New Zealand sheep herders on the road. You know, that was Jack Victory and Rip Morgan, right? Yeah, the New Zealand militia, yep. Yeah, or, yeah, the militia. And that was who was, and they always beat us, but they usually pulled a canteen or something on it. But our spot to start with was awesome. I mean, we work a little bit, let 
uh, Rip throw me around, bust me up a little bit, throw me in the ropes. I tag Richard, go for a crossbody. Rip carry, catches me, turns a quarter turn. Richard drop kicks him in the back. He drops down. Referee comes in for the pin. One, two. Kicks me off. Richard jumps on. Goes for the pin. One, two. Kicks Richard's off. I jump on. <laughs> Goes for the pin. One, two. Kicks me off, and Richard throws the referee on. <laughs> and all the kids, everybody loves it. They thought it was. And, and clown shit like that. That's what we figured we were about. So uh, we would get over. I mean, even though it was they debuted us in the absolute worst place you could ever dream of, Fort Bragg. What in the hell <laughs> would a couple of clowns be doing in front of Army Airborne Rangers? <laughs> Not a good idea. Hey, class of champions. Not, Not a, a good idea. idea. The worst idea I've ever heard in my life. But I also, in doing this and kind of getting uh, a feel for the book and finding out what's going on, realized the fucking... The wrong people were in charge. You know, they gave Rick Rick the uh, book, but then they kind of kept pulling his strings and never let him do what he wanted to do. And then they gave um, Cornette part of the book, and then they pulled his strings and never let him do what he wanted to do. And it was just a conflagration of arguments, you know, and it was horrible. Uh, they should have just took a couple of guys. And my my vote, of course, Eddie was Eddie Gilbert was raised in the business, and I had a lot of respect for Eddie Gilbert because he had a mind for business. Because I watched him try to turn Memphis around because I knew he had the book there, so he would put angles from the bottom of the card to the top. So if you didn't like this angle, we had another one for you. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, And Jody did that, too, with us. Every step of the card was for a reason. You know what I mean? The early matches was a uh, um, junior heavyweight championship tournament, you know, and then move up all the way up was some kind of it, – it was there for a reason. You know, we had the war going on with the nightmares and the – and uh, two former partners were fighting each other, uh, Dino Manelli and, and Steve Lawler. And then the top guys would work. You know, and it was, it made it more interesting. And I watched Eddie try to do that in Memphis. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. uh, I thought, that's what we needed. You know what I'm saying? Where every step of the ladder on the matches that night, somebody was saying, oh, man, Watch this. This is this is going to be good because this is, has this at stake. You know what I mean? And it's not just like going to see wrestling. It's going to see the junior heavyweight tournament, the uh, the champ fight, and then the tag team war. You know, and 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 put gimmick matches in there all the way up. You know what I mean? And um, I thought Gilbert could pull that off, but only thing he was allowed to do to book. Uh, was to tell everybody night to night 
what their match was going to be and kind of just relay the information. I mean, he like, uh, you know, we'd do a tag team match, and a lot of times it was the same kind of match because you kind of wanted to, you know, to pull something different on certain wrestlers, you had to be careful because a lot of them I didn't feel were as versatile as I was. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So um, you you tried to gauge a match the way you wanted to do it, and they could remember it. I love changing it up. You know what I mean? I loved tonight. And, you know, and we don't have to do anything complicated, but let's do this. And it just kept getting shot down, you know. I just... I was very frustrated. That's another reason I had to let let it go. But, you know, the tag team situation was in, insane. I mean, you had uh, Midnight Express, the Row Warriors, Smote and Swap Team, the Freebirds, the new version of Freebirds, you know. And then uh, the Skyscrapers, who they were pushing like crazy. And then... Uh, and they had lost Tully and Arn, and they kind of wanted to bring Arn back, not Tully. And then the singles were pretty cool. I mean, Kenji Muda was the most athletic guy I'd ever seen. I mean, he was he was amazing. Um, you had Sting and Flair and, of course, Luger, but Luger was kind of limited. You had to work Luger's game. Steve Williams, which they never really used right. Um, they even had underneath guys like Gilbert and Rich, and every once in a while they bring Stan Hansen in, and Ron Simmons was kind of on the bubble because they didn't know what to do with it, you know. And, and then they finally, I had a match with him, and they loved it. So then they teamed him with Butch Reed and did their thing with that, and then uh, kind of stuck underneath with nowhere to go was me and guys like Scott Hall, and I mean everybody knew that we could work Zinc and. Of course, Brian, Flying Brian was starting out, but I never really liked his work. All he wanted to do was hot spots. And, you know, 10 minutes of hot spots beating the hell out of somebody just doesn't sell. You know what I mean? Yep. He just didn't know. And Rick was trying to tell him, and I couldn't tell him nothing because he didn't want to hear nothing from some underneath guy. You know, so whatever. I did a match, I think it was in... uh, somewhere Philadelphia or somewhere East Coast, and it was a TV match, and he set up, you know, like six hot spots, baseball slide, you know, me, and when I bumped me outside, I'd go to the top, he'd drop kick me off the top rope. I mean, it was all kinds of, and I was bumping my ass off, and I knew going in, this is not going to work. I mean, all I'm doing is taking great bumps, and he can't pin me. So what does that mean? Not a damn thing. Great point. <laughs> if, well, I mean, even an underneath guy, you know, you don't have to crush him. You know, you just, I mean, there is a point, like, hell, I must wrestle the skyscrapers five times. And, you know, Spidey you had to watch out with for because he would come at you at weird angles. You know what I mean? He he, His training wasn't right. He didn't have his sea legs right, and he would – 
hit you in the side of the head with the club, you know? I mean, he just you just had to kind of feed into Spivey. You might get hurt. He never hurt me. And then Sid, he would swing, you know, like you taking a clothesline, he, he'd be like he's swinging a ball bat, you know? So you'd have to get close to him so he wouldn't kill you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's just the dynamics. I mean, had he hit you out there around his elbow or his wrist, I mean, he's going to kill you. Hey, let's pause one minute and tell you about this week's sponsor, Harry's. Are you tired of looking for the perfect gift for the man in your life this holiday season? If you answered yes to that question, then why not take a chance? Head on over to harrys.com, use the promo code POWERTRIP, and take advantage of a very special offer just for the listeners of the two-man power trip of wrestling. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of getting a dull cliche gift like socks, a wallet, a tie, and your regular standard gift card. But this holiday season, I'm turning to Harry's to get the Harry's Holiday Sets to share with all the important loved ones in my life to give them the opportunity to experience the difference of using Harry's. Harry's doesn't just talk a big game, they actually deliver. And discovering the Harry's Razors and the Harry's Post-Shave Balm, I can honestly tell you, my mornings have gotten better. And as a very special offer for the fans of the two-man power trip, we've partnered with Harry's to give you $5 off any shave set, including their limited edition holiday sets, when you go to harrys.com slash powertrip. Plus, you'll get free shipping. Each Harry's shave set comes with a weighted handle with an option to engrave, a five-blade razor cartridge, foaming shave gel for a rich lather, a travel cover to protect your blades, and it's always packaged in a handsome holiday gift box. Or if you just want something for yourself, redeem a Harry's trial offer to experience the quality of the shave before committing. Just head to harrys.com slash powertrip. Again, that's harrys.com slash powertrip. Use our promo code powertrip and experience the difference of Harry's this holiday season. But Harry's is a return to the essential. It's quality, durable blades at a fair price at just $2 per blade. They've cut out the middleman manufacturing blades in their German blade factory that's been honing precision blades for a century. And what does that mean? It means you get incredibly high quality blades at factory direct prices. And if you want convenience, the Harry's blade refills are delivered directly to your door on your schedule with or without subscription. And there is absolutely no risk for you to try them out. If you don't love your shave, let them know and Harry's will give you a full refund. Head on over to harrys.com right now and get your holiday gift box with its very special polished chrome Winston handle and a merry seasonal twist and take advantage of our offer of $5 off and free shipping by using the code POWERTRIP. Again, it's $5 off and free shipping using the promo code POWERTRIP. Experience the difference and get yourselves over to harrys.com right now and start the holiday season off right. I just love that you went through that roster. I just love that roster at WWE at that point. Maybe hurt. Maybe so much talent. Maybe the booking wasn't that great, and and maybe Jim Hurd is out of his mind, but uh, the roster is unbelievable. Well, Jim Hurd was the boss and was put in in that position because he Jim Hurd was a pizza guy. Yeah, Pizza Hut, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he had no business running wrestling. I could see where he would say, pull the reins, no, this is too far. But he needed to kind of curb that and let guys that knew wrestling run the book. And nobody, every time they would try to try to go somewhere with something, and, and, and it, just, it just gets squashed, you know? And it was a lot of wrestling 
But there's no storyline anywhere. Anywhere. You know? I mean, even, okay, it's going to be staying in um, Flair, you know? They should have built that up. Mm-hmm. You should, You can't just say, and, and uh, you know, staying in Muda. Great. Two good, great. I mean, Sting was a good worker. He knew what he was doing. And if you dynamically set it up, you know, he wasn't... He wasn't a real big thinker, you know. He would go for a lot of things, and he was a great athlete, you know. But had had someone mapped out a really cool match instead of said just go out there and take care of business, they could have done some amazing stuff, you know. And every night it was that way. Every night, they oh the Steiner brothers. I never seen so many people. <laughs> Fuck up the finish in all my life in the damn Steiner Brothers. Hmm. <laughs> Every friggin' night. And great workers. And as far as a shooter, I mean, my God, they were uh, amateur killers. I mean, <laughs> hmm. I'd get in the floor with uh, Rick Steiner, except uh, uh, you had to be kind of careful because he would take advantage. You know what I mean? Yes. They kind of respected me for that. I love to, you know, chain wrestle and shit like that and get get in the floor. But uh um they kind of respected me for that, but then that I don't know, man. Some certain guys they just kind of lose their minds and they would get lost quite often. I mean, especially on a finish. You know, I don't know why. Hmm. It just well, they were they were both in the business, well, Scott wasn't in the business no longer than I was at the time. But um, I just I just see them like, you just see it every night. When you're watching it, and I watched every match every night. When I, as soon as I worked, I showered, I got back out there. Because especially you're putting guys over, well, what matches, what, what things do they like to do? You know what I mean? Yes. This, 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 and this. So when I know I got to put them on TV, hey, you like to do this? Let's do that. You like to do this? This, that. You know. And I would, I was professional. You know. And um, I don't know. I I was told by a lot of guys I was on my way up. You know, when I left. But another thing was going on. You know, I had a, a very young son who wasn't even a year old. And um, my dad was pretty much a workaholic absentee father, unless I went to work. And he believed in work ethic. Unless I went to work with him, I hardly saw my dad. And I didn't want to be that guy. You know what I mean? Especially Mm -hmm. working 27, 28 days a month, you know, and you're on the road, you're not home. It wasn't conducive to the family lifestyle. Definitely, so, definitely not. So I uh, joined the Henry County Fire Department. They uh, were hiring three. They had 32 guys out, but they wasn't going to out in shape me. I was in great shape, and I was pretty smart with tools. And I worked there almost 29 years, became a paramedic, company officer, lieutenant, and then worked in the fire marshal's office as a fire investigator too, so... 
I made a career out of that, and I'm now retired. Pretty great. You get out of the wrestling business and still successful, and, you know, you kind of do your own thing. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I retired making basically the same money I do now. It's I did before. And, um, well, I mean, it is what it is. You know, I I thought ahead and figured I could uh, – I, I had every intention of going back into the business, so <laughs> at least at least for a part. I had an idea for a great gimmick. I mean, I thought of getting my buddy Jimmy and get uh, – um, uh, this is another name that you might probably know of, Billy – Bill Harris Starr. You ever heard of him, Billy Starr? No, doesn't sound familiar. He worked with Ted Allen. Do you know who Ted Allen is? Yes. Okay, Ted trained um, Arn Anderson, a lot of guys, and Ted was yep. a good worker. And Billy could talk. And Billy didn't have the muscular thing, but Billy, in his own way, was a much better worker because I worked matches with Billy that went, I don't know, 35, 40 minutes. And we wouldn't even touch each other for the first 20 minutes. I mean, he would just, and the crowd would be in a freaking uproar. You know, he just played the chicken shit hill so well. And he could run his mouth. God, he could run his mouth. And he could work. He worked a rugged style, but Billy could work. He could work as good as anybody. But he was a smaller guy, and he never got his shot. The only time Billy, I I don't know if you know this, but they used to be a territory uh, in Kansas area. During the summer, you couldn't draw flies because everybody's working out in the field, you know. And uh, a lot of American Indians were workers back then, but uh, uh, Billy would work there, work there during the winter, and he was the top heel, and he made good money, you know. And he was, he was, uh, he learned a lot working with Crockett and stuff, but he made good money doing that. I mean, he, he was. He he had the psychology down. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. He, he could get you in a twist. God. And he was a rugged, physical guy. I mean, he gets you in a twist. And he tell me a lot of road stories, you know. Um, he uh, was in one town, and uh, the head guy was Bob Brown. And he'd actually bought a Lincoln Town car because they were going to bring in Andre for the a week or something like that. Well, Andre didn't like Bob, so he rode with Billy and his broker in the broke down car. And uh, that night, they go to work in some town, you know, and it sold out. Andre Andre and Bob Brown's going to beat up Billy and his, his partner, right? So, or Billy's tag team, that's it. Billy was managing the tag team, and he was the top heel. So, uh, Andre was his buddy all the way over there and they got in the match and he's and he snatches up billy during the finish and says you're gonna like this boss and can you imagine getting your ass spanked by andre the giant <laughs> and he is none too kind hmm. oh my god but he's a great guy and i still talk to him weekly and uh he he ended up uh, being a, he worked probably another ten years after I left. 
but uh, uh, he drives a truck still yet, you know. He's at 70 years old and drives a truck. Nice. Good worker, though, man. He was good. He's one guy who never made a lot of money in the business, but he was as good as anybody I ever saw. And Ted was, too. Ted dynamically could do anything. Now, I just want to rewind just a bit back to um, the Ding Dongs just for a second, because at that point, we, to the Ding Dongs, because Jim Hurd at, at that point was trying to be like WBF, I forget what they call like the creative initiative or the initiative to change creative stuff, because he wanted to be more like WBF. So he created the Dynamic Dudes, which was obviously uh, Johnny Ace and, and Shane, and that was a terrible gimmick. He wanted Ric Flair to be Spartacus, and then he created the Ding Dongs. It's just... A weird time in WCW. You mentioned that awesome talent roster, but with him kind of sending stuff in from up top with these weird gimmicks, it just kind of you know got very very silly. And you were kind of saying like, "What the fuck, the Ding Dongs?" What was the explanation of what they actually are with the orange suits and the bells? Was there any sort of explanation to it? <sighs> yeah, um, but very little. He just wanted us to go out there and ring bells and just get the crowd excited. See, that was giving somebody that had no idea what wrestling is or any concept of how to draw money, like giving him the book. And and he had no – I mean, it was insane. It was just insane. Jim Hurd had no business – doing the job he was doing in in interfering with the actual wrestling. Do you know what I'm saying? He yes. was giving he was giving Tom Zink underneath guy more money than either one of the uh, uh Midnight Express. Oh my god. He was. He was giving him like three grand a week and then giving them two two a piece. You know, and it was it was, and in my opinion, if they would have let Eddie Gilbert, because this is something else I thought of, and I, you know, but I'm so underneath, I'm so much dirt that I open my mouth, I'm probably gone. You know what I mean? I'm just glad to have a job, but I also, most people don't know this, I had an IQ of like 160. Of course, when you know how to take an IQ test, it's no big deal, hmm. but... I thought what they should have done is say, Eddie Gilbert, you're our TV champion. Because after Arn, that that title disappeared, remember? Yeah, for a little bit there, yeah. That title just disappeared from Earth. I would have made Eddie Gilbert the champion, and I would have had him work small guys for a long period of time and then go up against somebody like Bobby Eaton and heal on them and then, of course, when you heal on them, you know, you, you create the controversy and have the constant heat. Just let him build his heat. You know what I'm saying? Because a lot of people on a world stage didn't know about Eddie, you know, and Eddie could work. I mean, he worked kind of like, um, uh, oh, what was his name from Memphis? Uh, Lawler. Jerry Lawler, but, yep. But Eddie could work, and he knew how to create heat, and let him do that. But you know, and and, and I kind of 
saw it later. Um, uh, Rick didn't like Eddie at all. Right, right. Never liked him. And but he, then he turned around and liked Pillman. Yeah, Pillman was an athlete, but he had no no idea of the business, you know. And Pillman could have, and he did develop into a good worker. But Pillman. I mean, I'm like, what? And he could have gotten Pil- Pillman over. Eddie could have got Pillman over by, you know, screwing him. You know what I mean? And and uh, created an angle with Pillman. But he so much made life hell for Eddie Gilbert and guys like Tommy Rich and stuff like that who who knew how to work that they were they couldn't stand being around. I mean, they they pit them against the skyscrapers. I mean, do a job with the sky. I mean, this is a guy that's been in business since he's fourteen years old, and now he's got to do a job with these two guys. You know, that should have been avoided. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely, yeah, makes sense. I mean, <laughs> protect and, him a little. Uh, not so much protect him if 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 they're gonna do it, you know. At least, and the skyscrapers didn't work; they didn't sell, and neither did the Smo and SWAT team. They they would sell for each other's mishaps, but the Smo and SWAT team. And I know their dads, you know, Ahi or whatever his name was, and Sam wouldn't sell. And Fatu would sell a little bit, and he would work, and Fatu was a little bit better worker. But Sam, he 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 would sell his own bumps for himself. But somebody got in their head, and kind of in it, they were some awesome workers. I mean, I know those guys could have brought the house down, but they wouldn't sell. You know what I'm saying? Even the road warriors, they worked the road warriors, and you you could no real selling. I mean, yeah, they kind of cowered and walked around like they got beat up, but his nowhere good as Terry Funk did every night. You know, I mean, somebody needed to get in their head and said, "Look, man, you're we need a fourth dimension here. You know, we don't need two dimension. You know, we need." And they just wouldn't say. I mean, even as much as the uh, Steiners would screw up, they would sell, and their matches were better. You know, I, I don't know. It was just I saw a lot of problems that I thought, why did why couldn't why can't we why can't you fix this? Why can't somebody talk to somebody and fix this? You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah. And it was every night, and a lot of times we great matches, but then you'd see, you know, guys with really good talent just get misused. I mean, I hung around guys like Dick Murdoch, and we talked a lot. I mean, Dick was he was a clown, but Dick could work, and Dick would watch stuff, and he and and Terry. Um, Terry Gordy too. He says, "Man, he says he would see it too." He says, "Ah, same old shit, just like in Japan. You know, they won't sell for each other." 
It was it was weird. And of course, you know, when they're on the on the gas so much and they're they're very impressive physically, they want you to do all the stuff, you know? Well, you get two big guys, somebody gotta sell. You know. It was it was and I also saw the uh the development of getting to the smaller, you know, gymnastic kind of guys. It was gonna happen. The real good, you know, guys like it, they have now, where they do all the the super hot spots and after hot spot after hot spot after big bump and stuff. I seen that coming because it was it was an inevitable thing. Why do you say that? How did like? What did you see? Like, kind of come just too many too many high spots early on. You knew uh, that people were just going to adapt that and kind of take it and make it their own. I knew. I knew. The real workers and the real physical part of the thing was going to change because when I was in it, I was 6'2", 218 pounds. And um, I was probably, I was taller than a lot of them, but I was giving away, I don't know, 60 pounds about everybody in the locker room. Pretty much. I mean, you're talking... Mike and Joe, the Road Warriors. You're talking all all this gas in the room, and in in in, it was, and you know you can kind of blame guys like Bill Watts pushing the big guys all the time, you know, and um, the big monstrous guys were the only ones getting pushed, you know. When the when they looked great, they would. I mean, like Luger was one of the worst workers I ever saw. You had to work around him every night. But um, they expected you to, you know? You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. I mean, and he couldn't draw because he just, he was a body. I mean, he looked very impressive. But that was, and he wasn't that smart a guy either. Have you ever spoke with Luger? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And And he comes across okay. But you can't tell Luger nothing. He has all the answers. You know what I mean? At least guys like Steve Borden, like uh, Sting and stuff, they would listen. I mean, even the guys like me. But but you can't – certain people you couldn't tell anything. And Rick, when he had the book, he was so involved to try to keep himself on top. And I always thought that the – the changing momentum and the the angles, like the first time they had made money in forever was when Terry Funk put Rick through a damn table. And they were in the black that very first month that angle went off. And for a month, it drew. I mean, it drew money, serious money. I was there. I could tell you about the crowds. And then as soon as that angle died off, it was back to in the red again. You know what I'm saying? Yep, such such an awesome feud. Even with all that talent, because they didn't didn't build anything. It was a conflagration, and too many people were involved in the book. Uh, God bless him. Solomon has a head head for the business, but it was just 
too many goddamn people. Fuck it. And jealousy is a big thing in there too. You know, you can. You're you're a smart man, I'm sure. You you know, egos were abound. You know, it was it was hard to kind of put your finger on, but they didn't. Everybody's wanting to stay, and everybody's trying to get 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 in Rick's ear. You know, and he was trying to be a politician, but he was also trying to keep himself on top. Yeah. And it was it was a mess. And it was a mess and it showed in the box office. Yeah, you're right. Player Funk was awesome. I mean it's such a great feud and like it definitely drew well. You could tell on T V all all the sellouts and the craziness and the awesome crowds and it did definitely flounder after that I, I, you know, obviously you enjoyed some of it, but you were gone pretty much, like you said, 89, uh, the beginning of 90, almost maybe uh, the perfect time to get out, according to Terry Funk, the perfect time. And obviously he would kind of go into more of an announcer role right after that few too, which was kind of interesting. I just thought like, wow, after that, like that's what happens to Funk. He kind of got pushed off. Yeah, maybe. that was a huge mistake. Um, yeah, he should have kept him around as a main eventer. Maybe I, with the horseman. I actually spoke to well Nick Patrick about it, but I didn't speak to Terry about it because he had already told me I need to get out. But I thought what would have been a decent angle was if I personally would go to Terry Funk because a lot of my bumps, I don't know if you you really technically was I tried to imitate him in the seventies, you know what I mean? Some of the mm. weird But anyway I thought what I could do is go to Terry and say, Look, man, um would you mentor, coach, train me or whatever you can do to help me with my career? And then go at it at that angle as an underneath guy, he would come out and he could be Booker. He could come out and um uh, kind of semi-manage me, but I mean, Terry Funk's crazy. You know, he could, I get a bump outside of the ring, he chop me three times and throw me back in, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, and do an angle where I just get tougher and tougher and I start getting some wins and maybe that would get my career going. Uh, and uh, I never, I never mentioned it to him though. So I was hmm. already kind of heading out the door. But, uh, they were putting him kind of in the book, and Terry had great ideas. Terry, I think Terry, if they just shut everybody else up, get Terry and um, maybe Eddie, shut a fucking door, tell everybody to go back, we're going to keep y'all involved, just let them guys figure it out. And you would have got a hell of a lot more done and started angles and started, you know, this against that stuff, you know, and just keep her out of it. And they could have made, they could have brought back the whole thing. I'm, I, it might not have been those two, but you had too many people involved. You know what I mean? Too many chiefs and not enough Indians. Does that make sense? Absolutely. It makes perfect sense. And as far as like that time period and you leaving, any regrets on, not just like playing a ding dong character, because obviously you you want the job, you want the role, you got to do what they want, and they're kind of the boss. But any regrets of of leaving the business at that point? 
No, because, you know, um, well, of course I had once. And I was told, you know, even I see um, Nick uh, a lot at the gym. I hear Gold's Gym. And I see um, um, oh, Michael Hayes quite often at the gym. And, uh, you know, we always say hey and everything. And, and he told me, you know, Michael said, dude, and Michael was even in the book. Dude, you were on your way, you know. Why did you leave? And I said, ah, just family, you know. But, yeah, yeah, there was a few. I did a few spot shows for some uh, local talent, you know. But I – and another thing about the business, um, you always got these little hurts and stuff like that. And I was I was um, kind of used to that. But, you know, you got, you got banged up every single night. So, you know, it – takes a kind of a persona to not give a crap. You know, you just have to go at it, go at it, go at it. And just, I, I'm not a druggie or anything. I could never go down that road. And, uh, you know, you were kind of always beat up. But uh, with my kid, I, you know, I taught him in T-ball and stuff like that. And then I had two more daughters, you know. and I just kind of became... What I thought was a good dad, and uh, uh, I don't miss, I didn't miss it during them days. And and be real honest with you, as a paramedic in Henry County, and there's a lot of good people in Henry County, Georgia. Uh, there's hundreds of people walking around because of my medical intervention and fire intervention. So a lot of property saved. So I felt good about what I was doing. But yeah, I missed it. I mean, even even the stupid gimmick that really pissed me off, I missed it. And I'd, you know, get calls now and then from old friends and, oh, did you hear so-and-so died? You know, a good little worker out of Chattanooga was named Chance Myers, and he had died. Uh, Joey Magliano, Joey Mag, you, you familiar with him? Joey Mag, jumping Joey Mags. Jumping Joey Mags. Yep. How he got jumping Joey, I never know because I never saw him get off the, <laughs> off the ground. <laughs> yeah, same here. <laughs> <laughs> but I worked, you know, he went to Memphis for a little while and come back, and I worked him a couple of times. He asked me to come up and work for him and um, just stuff like that. And he'd passed away, and Chance Myers passed away from a car, uh, car accident. And there's a lot of old workers that I worked that are gone, you know. But, uh, uh, I miss I miss the camaraderie with the boys. I miss uh, the whole idea. Adrian Street, who was very personable, I still talk to him on Facebook now and then. Uh, you know, I, I, that's something you might not know. You know, Adrian was pretty much a badass. Yes. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, He's a shooter, a bit of a shooter. Oh, he uh, he he gave me some lowdown. He. He trained very young with some some bad dudes, and uh, he actually had some friends were like British Royal Commandos, and they small joint manipulation. He could hurt you and laugh at you about it. Hmm. <laughs> but he was a sweet guy. I mean, a- Adrian was, and uh, his wife there was tougher than he was. <laughs> but. Hmm. Uh, uh, Adrian Street kind of missed his his little gimmick a little bit. You know what I'm saying? 
gorgeous it was obvious copy of gorgeous george but in in his own little way he kind of missed it you know what i'm saying time timing wise yeah timing if he'd have been 10 years earlier he'd have been so over so over especially if they the right angle he'd have been so over but it was already into the big guys and he wasn't a big guy i mean they were they were weren't guys pill, popping the uh, uh, steroids like peanuts back then, you know. Of course, they wasn't even steroids when. And he's an older guy, but yeah, he he uh, he was a good worker. I liked I liked watching him work, and we kind of messed around a couple of things. But um, he would he loved to put me in what he called the sugar. <laughs> you ever heard of that? Mm, no. Uh, it's kind of it's a submission hold. He and I was always easy, pretty easy going going guy and stuff. But he'd love to come in and hey, let me show you something before you know it. You're on your knees. Oh my god! <laughs> but he would think of things to mess with me. And you know we only kind of hung out for about three weeks, but it was it was kind of neat. Very very cool. And correct me if I'm wrong, but were you at Starcast uh, for an autograph signing? No, portraying the ding dong. That was not us. That was so, not us. Those guys, dude, that gimmick was thirty years ago. Those guys probably ain't even thirty. <laughs> so I, so I, so I saw that. I'm like, wow, are they actually going to bring ding dong? Because I saw they had a fake RoboCop. So I'm thinking, like, are they actually going to do real ding dongs, or is it going to be some cosplay? What do you, what are your thoughts on, on kind of a cosplay, so to speak, or like a ripoff guys doing ding dongs signing autographs? 30 years after the fact. Well, you know, I actually uh, called Richard about that. Uh, a, guy, a, a guy, a super fan who hunted me down, says, hey, man, are you going to be at StarCast? I'm like, what are you talking about? He said, yeah, you're the, you're the, you're the, you're Greg Evans, right? You're the Ding Dongs. You're going to be at so-and-so. I said, no, I hadn't heard anything about it. He said, oh, yeah, there's, there's, they have advertised the Ding Dongs. I said, oh, you're kidding me. And you know what? Some couple of guys want to make a few bucks. I don't care. I mean, <laughs> it doesn't make any difference to me. Uh, but yeah, Roger. I mean, Richard. Uh, um, I called him and uh, let him know and sent him an actual photo that Dave Daniel sent me. And he says, "You got to be kidding!" <laughs> After all this time, and there, if you look on YouTube, there's a thousand. Or not a thousand, but there's quite a bit of uh, rip roar on that stupid gimmick, you know. And mm-hmm. yeah, I choice. I mean, this. Let's be real honest with you. I wanted to work, and this kind of got thrust upon me. And I asked Jack Victory same thing. I said, "Here you are, you know, you 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 have you've been around a little bit." I said, "All I have ever done is you know local local work." And here, here we are. The only two businesses making money, and they hand you a fucking clown outfit. What are you gonna do? He said, "Ding fucking dong, baby." <laughs> <laughs> I just can't believe that they would have you know the the signing and bring back the ding dongs for whatever reason, but it not actually be the real ding dongs. Like if you're gonna do it, you got to bring back the original guys to, to sign. It's just well, insane. That's another thing. It's a promoter wanting to make a few bucks, you know, whatever. Yeah, it's very, very, yeah. very weird. Now, yeah. all over 
you know, the internet and stuff, you always see, oh, that's the worst idea for a tag team ever. Oh, that that was oh, terrible. Yeah. That was no, you, let me tell you about the ding dongs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you, was... do you, you know, just laugh at that or like, wow, they're still talking about us. They're still remembering us. They're still cosplaying us. So like, do you just laugh at it now? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I, you know, I, I, I'll tell you something else happened. Um, uh, we were in Chicago and I think it was, you know, kind of like the third time we've worked or something like that. And they had the kayfabe papers. You ever heard of that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they they actually somebody got me a copy, and it was says absolutely the worst idea and all this kind of shit. And and I I, I made up my mind right then. I says I can't take this personally. This isn't my idea. But what I can do is let them watch the match, clown it up, and let them have a good time. Yeah. yeah. So, so uh, that's that's basically what I did. And one of the best, and you know, I saw a lot of wrestling. And one of the last times Tully or uh, Arn and uh, Tully were in town, they were working uh, the. Uh, Midnight Express in Chicago, or maybe it's Philly. I think it was Philly. Mm-hmm. And 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 me and Hall was up in the stands while we had already worked, and we and Hall did it too. He watched a lot of matches with me, and we would sit and watch. And they had a match that night that must have had ten false finishes, and everybody in the place was smart. <laughs> Because every time they'd kick out or do it, they would cheer. You know what I mean? On both mm-hmm. sides. So they was like, we don't, because if you watch wrestling over a long period of time, and you're a super, you're probably a super fan. What I would say, you catch any, everything you can, right? Right. Okay. How many times have you seen the same finish? Oh, my God, a million. Okay. How many times have you seen the false finish and then the real finish? Another, right. Mm-hmm. A half of yep. them. Okay. Well, they had 10 false finishes. I mean, it, it you know, gourd buster, you know, off suplex off the top. Suicide, I mean, just slingshot suplex. And everybody in the place were like, nope, that ain't it. Nope, that ain't it. Nope, that ain't it. And they were cheering it because they like, thank you, Lord, for entertaining us. And they were smart. They was they absolutely loved it. And it was, you know, Cornette's thing to do that. And what a match. And then the following time, the following week, I'm 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 working with these guys. I'm seeing that they're work working with skyscrapers. Uh the um uh Midnight Express is working the skyscrapers, and they won't sell for them. <laughs> Nothing. I mean, Bobby Eaton throws the punch where he slaps himself in the chest, and you can hear it in the top row, and it sounds like somebody just smacked the floor. And he doesn't sell it. And oh, it. I mean, it's like, you've got to fucking be kidding me. And we're looking at each other. So these are world champions. And at one time, world and USA champions last month 
and now they can't get anybody to sell for them. It's like, what the fuck? That's the egos, man. That was what screwed it up. And nobody kind of telling them they got to sell for these guys. That's kind of crazy. They, well, they, they, what, well, actually, if you listen to uh, Cornette, they went to Ole, says, talk to these guys. And, of course, Ole fucked them up. And, uh, yeah, it was just bad. <laughs> and then then I uh, saw the uh, match where uh, the Freebirds, which they actually had Terry with them. You know, it was Terry, it was Garvin, and uh, and Michael. And evidently, because this is this was kind of out of character for them, because Michael and Michael always sold for me because I, I I did a hell of a job for him, and he and when I worked with him a few other times, he always sell and bump for me. And then uh, uh, Terry, when when Terry and Michael worked me and Richard one time, not as the ding dongs, but as a couple of you know just workers, we had a pretty damn good match. I mean, they were never any real trouble, but they would sell for us and work for us. Well, I'm here watching one night, and it's them, and they're trying to get over, I guess. I don't know. But it's the uh, Midnight Express and Dr. Death Steve Williams. And I, we're finished, and I'm I'm sitting there watching. I don't think nobody was around me. I'm sitting there watching this thing go down. And I said, what the hell is going on? Terry Gordy, who's the biggest guy in the ring, is the only one selling on one side. I mean, literally, Michael's not selling. Garvin's not selling. And the finish comes in, and, and somehow a chair gets in the ring. And I know this is not the finish. <laughs> but uh, Steve Williams had a duff. And he hits <laughs> he hits uh, Garvin over the head with this this chair. And it's like, it's a wooden chair. And it's like, holy smack. It sounded like somebody just hit a home run. <laughs> hmm. And then I hear Garvin say, and I'm in the I'm in the back, dude. Fuck! Hmm. And I hear um, Steve Williams say, fuck with me. Hmm. I hit him again. <laughs> and it went three times. He Banged him with that chair, and of course it ended in smog. And I'll tell you something else. You remember uh, I was talking about Bill Harris? Yes. Uh, he trained Dr. Dusty Williams. Oh, why? Wow, didn't you realize that? Yeah, sure it is. I was so trained Watt trained him. him. I don't know why. Wow, okay, awesome. He was training him for Watt. Awesome. Uh, he was working when he left Kansas. Watts evidently bought the Kansas territory. And he worked a few times down in Watson's territory, and uh, uh, him and Stan Lane were uh, both learning to work, and Stan would help train because he'd already had some work. Uh, Steve Williams, in the matter of fact, uh, Steve Williams' first match, of course, he's nervous as a cat, is against Bill Harris, and it was a terrible match. I mean, he was just scared. I mean, he was scared to death. But he come into his own. I mean, he did work. Do you have some favorite opponents? I mean, 
we were talking about some great ones. Obviously, earlier on you mentioned Flair, which is awesome. Do you have some favorite opponents, like looking back at your career? Um, local. Uh, one of the, one of the guys that I worked real hard and hot with, especially out of Chattanooga, because he was kind of a staple out of Chattanooga, Tennessee, uh, was Chance Myers and the local thing. But Chance. Um, he would make you work, and he knew how to work. Uh, and you had to kind of pull the reins because he would—he was so used to dealing with shit. Because you, when you're small time, a lot of time guys say, "I'm a worker," you know, and he don't even know how to tie the boots. But when he would get somebody who knew how to work, he would try to get these big, complicated finishes. You know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And yep. and I. I, and, and then he would get it mixed up, you know. But Chance could work, and and I liked working Chance. And he was, a, uh, if you're looking on some of the old Deep South uh, beginning credits, you know, as, as Deep South wrestling, they show wrestling moves. Chance kicks me right in the face. <laughs> but, I mean, it didn't hurt. I just sold it like it did. But um, uh, Chance was a good guy. And, and uh, of course, he, he lied a lot. I mean, it's just it was his nature, his DNA, I guess. But Chance could work. But um, the best match I think I ever had was against a kid that couldn't do nothing. But I figured uh, it was in Baltimore, and he had been brought in by uh, Kevin Sullivan. He says he's real green kid, but he's got fire. I said, okay. I said I can use that. I said, what can he do? And he said, well, talk to him. Y'all work it out and have a good match. So we're opening match. And this kid don't know how to get onto the top rope. This kid don't know how to take a bump out of the ring. This kid don't know how to – he can do a drop kick. He can do a hip toss. He can do a body slam. And he can do an arm drag. And that's about it. And a punch. I mean, he is green as ghosts. And I'm sitting here thinking, you know, I don't get a chance to go over very much. I said, but what I'm going to do is have the best match with this kid that I can possibly have. Because I didn't have a lot of freedom. You know what I'm saying? They wanted me to do this. You know, I didn't, I couldn't, I could interject a little of my stuff, but most of the time I was told what to do. And... Um, and given a time limit, you know, and give him about 15 minutes and then he'll beat you with this, you know, y'all work out this and that. Anyway, this kid's so green he's, and he's scared because this is his hometown and his dad's there, but I have to go over. I don't know why I would have put him over. I didn't care, but I wanted to make it a great match. And the way they set up Baltimore arena is you had three sides with, um, chairs and one side for the press for some reason, and they had one guy sitting there with a damn typewriter and, and about eight rows of double tables, okay, right next to the ring. And they're not being used. There's nobody sitting over there. They got chairs and tables all set out and one guy from the press. And I figured, okay, well, I'll just use my environment. And I'm going to the ring. And I and there's Rick. He's standing there watching. He's he's all dressed out and he's standing there watching. And I stop and I said, 
you got 10 minutes, I said, I'm going to get them on the feet for you. And I'm not even going to throw a punch. And he kind of looked at me funny. He says, go get them, kid. So I go out there and do a couple moves, and he gives me a drop kick next. And I'm kind of healing, you know what I mean? I I, I did the old um, stall, you know, the uh, you stop at the ring, you just, like somebody said something, and you're going to go walk over there and get in their face or whatever. Yeah, yep. Yeah, just get their attention. Because the first match, there's <laughs> – a little move or a little thing to get people's attention, okay, it's fixing to be on, you know what I'm saying? And I, I walked like I had had a problem with somebody, and then I just stopped. and kind of, Like I was I was a bully, and I'm ready to fight anybody that fucks with me. Okay? Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. Kind of the, kind of the Zabisco stall. You know how he would stall? Oh, my God, yeah. And it, it just... He did that for a reason to get their attention. Because when Zabisco was stalling, what was the other guy doing in the ring? You can't tell me because everybody was watching Zabisco, right? Yeah. Get in the fucking ring. Come on, do something. Well, that's what I did. The other guy gets called out. He's a local kid. And, you know, I got him by about 30 pounds. He's not a big kid. He's about 180 and about 5'9, five, 5'10. But he's kind of local, so they give him a little cheer. But I pulled the stall, walked in there, and uh, just healed it a little bit. You know, you don't have to heal a lot. You just kind of get in the guy's face like, uh, me and you, really, you know? So I take this couple of bumps, and I bump through the ropes, and I land on this table. And I take, I get up. On the table, and I kind of surf my way across about three of them tables, <laughs> and then I fall on like the third one, and I start. I I kind of pulled the old Terry Gordy going to move the building like he did in Japan. You remember that? He, you yeah. Know like that? Yeah. He just he just threw a fit. I pushed them damn tables out of the damn way, and I'd already talked to Tommy Young. He was our referee that night. I said, when I come in with the chair, just snatch it away from me. And I had him bump me some more, you know. But I grabbed that chair. Everybody in that place and in their DNA knew I'm fixing to hit somebody with this damn thing. Because it, it looked like, I mean, it, it's it's choreographed violence. And I was choreographing and selling the fact that I'm pissed off and I'm fixing to hurt somebody with this. And I promise you, Unless they were an infant, they were standing up because they knew this is fixing to go down. Of course, as I coming in, Tommy pulls the thing, and I bump some more, get mad, heal on him, and uh, go for something big, miss. He goes for something big, miss, and then I dropped a big elbow off the top and won the match. But I had their attention. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yep, absolutely. That's great. And that, that's kind of what it's all about, right? Right. That's it. That's it. I can't even tell you the kid's name. He was very limited, and I was having to almost shout to him to what to do. But he had a great match. He thought everybody in the place knew, holy shit, this guy's pissed, and he's going to hurt somebody. And this is local boy, you know. And I just thought it was one of my better matches. But I go back to uh, 
the dressing room, and Rick's not even there to see it. <laughs> well, fuck you too, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, that's something I didn't do a really lot. care for him. He was he was a bit of a break, but he was he was always working to keep himself on top, and that's a full time job for some guys, you know. Definitely. Now, as as far as you and your career and and everything, always known as a good worker. I think obviously everybody will remember the Ding Dongs, but also a lot of good fan, uh, fans will remember the Rock and Roll Rebels and you and Rich Sartan. But what do you think is kind of like the legacy or the stamp like of your career? Like when people look back, like man, he you know hell of a worker. Or what like what's kind of like the the thing that's going to be remembered most about you? Uh, yeah, that I was a good worker. Uh, that um, had a lot of potential. Uh, I wasn't the biggest guy, the muscled up guy. But I'll tell you this: I was always in shape. I I didn't step in the ring if I didn't wasn't ready to go an hour if it came to it. I yeah, I I don't know how many hours of cardio I would do a day. You know, it just depends on on my mood, but usually at least 45 minutes of cardio a day. And that's before, you know, hitting the airplanes or anything. And um, I just felt like um, uh, I did I did what I was supposed to do, you know. I didn't fail anybody. I did, I did exactly what was needed of me. And uh, I was... Jim Ross will tell you, I, I was a good worker, you know. Uh, a lot of guys, nobody had any problem with my work. I never had anybody get mad at me, not once for anything. Never had a crossword. All I heard at the end of the day was, thank you, good job, thank you, good job, you know. And, you know, things happen in the ring quite often that kind of throws things off. And I was very adaptable and, and kept my eyes open to switching it up, you know. One of my last matches, um, I actually teamed with Scott Hall against a small SWAT team. Well, fuck, Scott did his thing, and I took bumps for the next 10 minutes, you know. And uh, it was just, I just felt like I could do as good as anybody out there. And I thought, given the opportunity, um, I never had any, intention of staying for 20 years in the business because it was just i mean that's like saying a you know nfl running backs in the last 20 years in the business it ain't gonna happen i just i just not without you getting pretty jacked up and i just felt like i did i did my best and uh, i have no qualms about quitting other than i could have gone further i thought but yeah, whatever it happens, and I still and, and it's so weird. I'll still meet a super fan now and then, and they just really um, overflow. You know what I'm saying? They say, "Man, where did you go?" You know, stuff like that. But uh, I thought I always did my best, and uh, I had no qualms about leaving. But it, it is what it is. <laughs> I don't. I mean, I. I left one career and slipped right into another. And I was a damn good fireman, too. 
That is great. That that is awesome. Now, as far as like you and you being out there and things like that, do you have social media? Do you do you have plugs? Like, how can kind of the, the fans that they want to reach out and say hello or something like that? Do you have um, stuff like where it's accessible for fans? Uh, no, not really. That one weird thing about me is I I use my regular name. I mean, mm-hmm. um, I had a neighbor of mine because I ha- I was going to go by Eddie Lee. You know, and uh, I was a big fan of uh, uh, the uh, 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 what was it, Eddie in the Cruisers movie, and I always oh, yeah. thought, chant Eddie, Eddie, Eddie. If you could get that going, just like they did with Carrera, you know, and that's another uh, guy I hung out with a little bit. He he wasn't with us very much. He just come in, did a couple jobs, you know. And mm-hmm. But Eddie, I tell you, in just a few minutes, Eddie was a mixed-up human being. Um, one second, uh, he's he's talking about how great this was. Next, he was talking about religion and his belief in God. And then the next, he was talking about getting high. And I'm like, oof. And this is on the ride from Atlanta Airport that took 20 minutes, dude. I was like, <laughs> what the hell? Uh uh, he asked me, you know, and I do believe in God. I, I absolutely believe in God. God has put me in the right place at the right time to save a lot of lives. And I do believe his hand was in some of that, you know, because it'd be something I'd seen before that I could take care of. And uh, I, I believe the man in something that I don't want to get too involved in, something happened to me negative that put me back on a truck. And then like two days later, I was in the, in the right place at the right time for a little 16-year-old girl with broke femur. You know what I mean? Mm. It was just... I just knew right then and there, okay, 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 I got you. This is where you want me. I'm at peace. You know, I was I was in turmoil, you know? Yep. Somebody, somebody had actually lied and got me demoted. Uh, a vice principal over some bullcrap, you know? And I was like, what are you talking... I didn't know how to take this, you know, why would somebody do this to me? And uh, because he was a friend of the chief at the time, and I'm like, what, why, why is this happening? I mean, uh, and then I found out, you know, could God put me there for that little 16-year-old girl, you know? Mm-hmm. He had a plan. And I told Eddie then, you know, I believed in God, very much so. And... Uh, our plans might not be what his plans are at times, but um, yeah, Eddie, man, I I think Eddie, as good a worker as he was, I think Eddie had some issues. I think he had some mental illness. I really do. And that was just, I mean, in dealing with people with true mental illness that you can really spot, you can kind of see an underlying thing with Eddie. Eddie, it was pretty emotional that night, and I don't know if he he had taken something or or if he was just at a crossroads in his life or, or something, but he was kind of emotional with me and I was um I told him, you know, we stopped and we stopped on the way to uh airport and prayed, you know, and uh and then he's talking about drugs before we got to he got on the plane, you know. I was like, What? This is so weird, you know. I said, You gotta be a bigger man than that garbage, you know. 
And he thanked me, hugged my neck, and I never saw him again. But it was weird. Yeah, wow. In one night, it was kind of weird. Powerful stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And there's some Looney Tunes in the business. (laughs) (laughs) I knew Mike Mike Hedstrom was not going to live long. (laughs) That dude, man. I knew. I said, holy shit, he is going to die of a drug dose. I mean, he was, <clears throat> without saying too much, he was he was out there, dude. And Joe was so grounded. You know, it was like both sides of a different coin. Two-Face, you know what I mean? <laughs> yep. Yeah, but I knew Mike was not going to live long. Jeez, Mike. What? <laughs> and he liked me. Me and Mike got along well. Um, I got pissed off one night um, after putting over the SWAT team. Sam, you had to watch out for Sam. He kicks me right in the back of the head, knocks me fucking cold. I mean, cold. After the match is over. I mean, I've just put over his buddy, you know, Fatu with the splash, and I knew how to take it and everything. And he pins me. Well, the other guy, they're they're bumping him in the ring and I'm right in the center of the ring and this shit is going fast and I don't want to catch a heel to the face or nothing like that. I can get my nose broke or stuff like that. So I kind of just rolled out of the way over onto my stomach and then he kicks me in the back of the head. He said, I just got pissed that you moved. I said, dude, I was trying to protect myself. You were were crushing this other guy and I just didn't want to you know, catch something by accident. I was just trying to move out of the way while y'all did y'all's deal. And he knocked me cold, and I was pissed. And like I said, I don't have fear. I was I was about to go in there and face off with that son of a bitch. And uh, Mike grabbed me and put me in the shower. I don't give a fuck. He give away 100 pounds. I'll take your ass down and bust you in the eye. I mean... It wasn't going to go very far anyway. There's 40 guys in there. Somebody going to break it up. And and Mike squared off against Sid one night too. I thought I thought that would have been interesting. I would have paid money to see that. Yeah, me too. Wow. Yeah. It didn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Sid was clobbering job guys so hard. They did, and a lot of guys, you know, they go straight in for the, you know, close that big, friggin' hawk clothesline he did. And if you didn't get close to him, man, it'd take your head off. And uh, guys were coming out hurt, you know. And, of course, Mike <laughs> Mike and Joe had had no room to talk, but <laughs> in their early career, they were. Oh, my it. God, yeah. <laughs> but he squared off on him, you know, and I was thinking, damn, uh, let me get a video camera and make some money on this shit. <laughs> But they didn't do it. I mean, they just and you know, Sid in certain certain way. I mean, I played racquetball with Sid. You know, we hang out. Uh, he was a cool cool cat, but uh, you couldn't tell Sid nothing either. He was like Lex. You couldn't tell certain people shit. He just couldn't. It just didn't sink in. Hmm. And same thing. You know, I never had a problem with Dan, but I watched him work every night, and it always seemed he was in the wrong position at the wrong time, and and he, he just 
I don't know, man. He just he's like, dude, who taught you to work? You know, you need to go back and get your sea legs. Yeah, it was just weird. And you've had uh, a very, very short run, but a, a good career as far as really knowing your craft, really know what you're doing, but definitely leaving an impact, definitely leaving a stamp. And even to the point where people are copying the gimmick still to today, 30 years later, and trying to make a buck off of it. So just, uh, you know, remember that uh, as well. But definitely a, a good worker and a good hand in your day. That's, uh, that is for sure. And, Greg, appreciate all the time you gave us today. Thank you so much. Really appreciate that. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.